My name is Nate, going to be the pastor here at New City, and before we jump into the message proper, I just want to review a few things with you about the Be Good News initiative, which we announced last week and I'm super excited about. We're calling all of New City, 100% of New City during this season to be good news for people in the city with our lives. It's kind of a tough message to reject. All right, God's called us to be good news for people in the city with our lives. And we showed a video last week, introduced the whole theme, uh, walked through what it all means. And uh, if you want to go to begoodnews.church, you can find out all the information. We'll be uh, continually adding things to that. That's a website you can visit, www.begoodnews.church, and find information out there. On your seats when you came in, there were a bunch of uh, brochures. I'm not going to go through them in detail, uh, except for one I'll hit a little bit more uh, in more detail than I did last week. But you'll see this uh, this kind of a, a deal. It says, be good news for people in the city with our lives. This is our big calling. When you open it up, you'll see uh, that we are uh, in, involved in a two-year initiative. It's really a two-year budget, if you think about it that way, uh, that, that adds up to $2.8 million. With that two-year budget, we're doing a few things. Uh, we are doing ministry for people. And when you see that on the left-hand side of that brochure, what you'll see is that we have prioritized children and families in our church. We'll be uh, expanding hours of children's ministry. We'll be expanding focus on student ministry. We'll be hiring an administrative pastor. We're going to be uh, increasing our programming uh, with those dollars. We also talked about our unique presence in the city. Uh, and in September of 2021, our lease expires here, and we had to have a, a place to go. And by God's grace, we have a purchase agreement on this space right here. Uh, that's a, one mile away from here. In fact, inspection started this week. The roof was inspected. The HVAC was inspected. Uh, currently, North Church meets in that facility. And so if you're trying to think, where is that? It's right down the street. Uh, it's across the street from Hooters, if that's a landmark that you care about. Uh, but it's right across the street from there. Uh, and so oh, somebody went, oh, you know. Uh, but it's right there, and, uh, and so that's going to be our home, our future home, if, all, if God willing, as the Lord provides, and uh, 1.1 miles from here, so not very far. Uh, then we talked about the emphasis as being uh, with our lives, and so it's four people in the city and with our lives, and part of the budget is going to go to church planting here locally, uh, church planting uh, overseas, both in the Dominican Republic and in Asia, uh, planting churches among unreached people groups. Uh, we're going to be investing more money than we've ever invested before into New Mexico Dream Center and Shine School Partnership uh, and the unique presence God has for us in this city. Now, on the back of that brochure, you'll see some important dates there. Uh, some of the important dates are to, to note when we started the series, also when our uh, commitment weekend is going to be, when we're going to be asking people to uh, be good news is so much more than a financial commitment, but that's part of be good news. It is certainly a big part of it. Uh, you'll see there uh, some commitment dates and a celebration date. Uh, but there's one date that's not on the back that I want to make you aware of. That's on March 9th. On March 9th, we are going to have some Monday night. It's a one-hour service. Uh, at that North Church facility, the, the facility that we're, we're purchasing that North Church currently meets at. Uh, the North Church has been kind enough to allow us to have an event there, which is so cool. So we're going to have an event there. We'll be playing, praying for North. We'll also be praying for our initiative. Uh, and we'll, anybody who's then prepared that night to give a commitment uh, to this initiative can do so that night. And we'd love to have that as a pre-commitment event. Uh, if you want to kind of keep track of what's going on, there's going to be a lot of information coming at you during this series. Uh, I would recommend that if you're on Instagram, you can follow us at New City ABQ. If you're on Facebook, you can follow us at New City ABQ. You might want to even pull your phone out now and do that because we're posting stuff all the time. And this initiative is fast moving. There'll be lots of moving parts. And you might want to go back and reference something. All the kind of details will be there on our uh, kind of Instagram and Facebook feeds. Uh, inside that, um, that packet, you, there was a purple card that said commitment card. I want to spend a second on that commitment card so you 
know what you're looking at. Uh, this is a two-year ministry commitment, so this is a two-year budget plan. And when you open it up, it says, hey, what we're asking is 100% of people at Attend New City who believe in the mission to participate. That's what we're asking for. And the whole initiative, not just financially, but the whole initiative, to commit to being good news for people with our lives. Uh, but when you see that the secondary goal is a financial goal, that's kind of a, a, a goal that we would like to hit in order to do the things we want to do. And one of the things we mentioned the first week is that as we reach that goal, we hope to pay the debt down to the point of which, and we were looking at numbers today that were really good, we might be able to get our mortgage obligation to be less than our current lease obligation is now. And I think that that's possible. It's in the cards for us uh, moving forward as we look to the new space. Uh, but you'll see on the right side, a calculate here uh, page. And I want you to kind of pay attention to that real quick so you know what, how to fill that out. On the top blank is just kind of what I have planned to give over the ne this next two-year period. And so what would I normally give in a year? That's what you write in in that blank. Then you say, you know what, uh, in light of this vision, I think I could do some, some extra, some more. And all we're asking you to do, by the way, is just to pray, God, what would you have us to do? What would you have my family to do? What would you have our, uh, our you know, what would you have me to do uh, in, or, or in order to help New City to meet this goal? Then you add those two, two things up, those two numbers, like what you had planned to give, kind of the expanded giving. And then you times that by two, and that's your two-year commitment. And then if you have some resources that on reserve that you want to give, uh, you can put that in the blank, and that's your total uh, for the two-year commitment. That's what we'll be asking uh, folks to fill out, both on the pre-commitment night and the on commitment Sunday, so you know what's coming. And I'm not asking you to fill that out tonight. What I'm asking you to do is commit to pray. On the back of that, you'll see a, um, a list of gifts that need to be uh, given in order for us to meet that $2.8 million budget. Uh, and so one of those gifts is $200,000 uh, over that next two-year period. So I know one of you got it, right? I'm looking, looking at you, all right? No, but there, there is a, I'm just joking around about that. We can joke about that. All right, so, but there is, there is seriously a, a long list of, of opportunities there. And what we're asking you to do is just pray, Lord Jesus, what would you have me to do? And you can probably find your spot there somewhere along on that list. Another thing we had it out last week, and I want to encourage you on, is the prayer dot cards. And there's some on the on the benches around you or your seats around you. Uh, people who have been showing me the prayer dots. We're asking people to post their prayer dots on online. I, I did a little video on Instagram stories for New City this week and showed that I have a prayer dot on the porcelain deer in my office right on the eyes. It's kind of the creepiest reminder to pray of all time. I've got a prayer dot here on my watch and because I firmly believe that nothing good in this next season of ministry is going to happen separate from prayer. And if you don't commit to anything, please hear me, commit to pray. And if you will pray, God will move. I believe that with all my heart. God will move. All right, so we are in Be Good News series. I'm super excited about it. I'm excited for you to be here tonight. I'm excited for this message. So before we jump into it, I just want to pray real quick for that initiative. So Father, I pray that you would help New City Church to be good news for people in the city with their lives, that you would use this initiative for your purpose uh, in the city, that we would be humble enough to submit our will to your will, and would you make it known to us, each of us, how we can participate in this, uh, in this, in this, this, <laughs> in this next season of New City's life and being good news. It's in your name. Lord, just we pray. Amen. There's another resource I'm going to introduce to you a little bit later in the service, but you'll, 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 you'll recognize it when you see it. All right. What's the point of hide and seek? And, 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 you know, this is an interesting question. I've been wrestling with this this last week. The point of the game. How many of you guys have played hide and seek in your lifetime? You've played hide and seek? Okay. It seems to me that the point of hide and seek isn't to, to, to hide and stay hidden, right? If you've ever played with a kid, hide and seek, they go hide and you go, okay, ready or not, you know, here I come. And it doesn't take very long for a kid to go, 
<coughs> you know, or hey, you know, and they'll be hiding behind a tree, they'll be sticking their arm out just to be seen. And it seems like to me that the kind of the point of hide and seek isn't to hide forever. Otherwise, there'd be somebody in their 40s right now hiding out someplace. I mean, it's like nobody's like still hiding, you know. Uh, it, the idea is to be strategically found of hide and seek. And I think this is true about life. Nobody wants to stay hidden forever. Like, no, nobody wants to stay hidden forever, but everyone deep inside desires to be found. I believe that. Everybody deep inside, like, wants somebody to recognize them, to see them, to be found, uh, to, to be loved, to be cared for, to be acknowledged. And, and that's kind of what hide-and-seek is. Like, you, you know, you're, you're, you're searching for your loved ones when you're playing hide-and-seek for the most part. If you play hide-and-seek with strangers, you're a little bit off, okay? But, like, most of us are playing hide-and-seek with people we know, right, and, and we care about. But there's a basic fear that is common to all of humanity. And that is the fear of being found out. We want to be found, but a lot of us really do fear being found out. That's a totally different thing. This is kind of that fear of being exposed. And it is not possible to live for very long without feeling the need to run and hide. In fact, running and hiding is a part of the human condition after the fall. Uh, in Genesis 3-7, what happens is when Adam and Eve sin, they immediately feel this feeling called nakedness. They were naked all the time, but now because sin has come, what they feel is really vulnerable. And they fear being found out. They fear being seen. They fear, fear being seen for who they really are. They fear, for be, they fear, being, they fear having their sin uh, being acknowledged. And I think we choose to hide in life because of those emotions, fear and shame. Those are the things that kind of push us into hiding. And every human, human being needs, right, needs to be known and loved. Every human needs it to be known and loved. But most of us will settle for just being loved. Because the real fear is, if I'm known, I can't be loved. And if we're, in our honest moments, we really feel like, if you could see me for who I really am, you wouldn't love me the way you do. And so hiding is a part of the human nature, you know, once sin has fallen, you know, once we've fallen under the curse of sin, hiding and running become part of our condition. But Jesus, he has this way about him. He sees who you really are. All your, all your sin, all your faults, all your brokenness, yet he puts you at ease when you're around him. It's this really weird thing about Jesus. Like you have this sense when you're with Jesus, you know everything there is to know about me, and you're comfortable with me. Like you love me, and I can be comfortable around you. And suddenly, like when you're with Jesus, like all the fear of judgment fades away which is what happens in Luke 15. Like the whole setup for the prodigal son, actually the prodigal son's narrative happens in Luke 15, 1. It says, now tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Joel Green, in translating this passage, he says, now all the toll collectors and sinners were coming near to him. Is probably a better translation. In other words, all the people who are lost in their sin, all the people who are broken said, Jesus is the guy I want to be around. He's the guy I want to be around. I think there's something about Jesus and the fact that he could see you, see you, really you, and yet you still felt comfortable being around him. It still was inviting. He still kind of pulled you in. It's like the love of Jesus has a way of covering up all of your shame and releasing you from whatever you, ha whatever you have been running from or hiding behind. It's like his love is so powerful that it just kind of washes over your shame. There are three good news truths I, th I think we need a candle on this text, we need a cover in this particular text, and one of those is that people are runners and hiders. That's what people are. 
By the way, the story of the Bible is not the story of a desperate humanity seeking after God. It's the story of a God seeking after a desperate humanity. That's the story of the Bible. You, you don't have to look hard at the pages of the Bible to see that God's the one who comes down always. God's the one who pursues Adam and Eve in the garden. God's the one that comes down uh, on the tabernacle. God's the one that comes down in the person of Jesus. In fact, the new city, the new Jerusalem is descending down from heaven at the end of the Bible because it's always God who's on the move. It's always God who's chasing sinners. And sometimes we, we run in our rebellion. Sometimes we're just rebellious and we run, and that's, that's just kind of feels natural to us. And some people are naturally runners. In Luke 15, 11, you see that one of the sons in Jesus' parable is a runner. And he said, there was a, a man who had two sons. This is his story that he's going to illustrate, the kind of the human condition, and also the nature of grace in. He says, uh, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country he ran. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So this younger son goes to his dad and says, Dad, uh, I want to pretend now that you're dead and I want my half or at least my portion as a younger son of the inheritance. And so the father has to liquidate his property and then put that property in some kind of means by which that son could take. And he takes it and then he squanders it in a far off land. He runs. So sometimes we run in our rebellion, but sometimes we hide in our religion. And this story really is a story about two lost boys. One is lost in his rebellion and one is lost in his religion. And what happens after the son uh, comes to the end of himself and returns and the father restores him is the older brother is not too happy about it. He was angry and he refused to go to the party. His father came out and entreated him, come on to the party, your son, you know, your brothers come back. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son of yours, the son of yours who has de devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. So Jesus is telling the story to illustrate there are two kinds of, there's two, there's two kinds of ways in which the human condition shows itself in its sinfulness. One is in rebellious running, the other is in religious hiding. And this older brother had been hiding behind his religious activity and all the things that he has done with his life. He, he, he recites his resume of accomplishments to his father. So I'm not going in to celebrate this rebellious son coming home. There are three main characters in the parable who correspond with three audiences conversing over the meal. And this is another one of Luke's mealtime kind of celebrations. You see this in verses 1 and 2. Uh, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's one group. Uh, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, that's the other group, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And the third is Jesus, who is there at the meal giving the parable. And so if you want to understand the parable of the lost boys, you've got to see Jesus is portraying himself as the loving father. You've got to also see that the younger brother, that's the sinners and the tax collectors, that are there listening in on Jesus telling this story. And in fact, I think that, that, the, those, that category of sinners also includes prostitutes, because Jesus writes that into the narrative. And so there are prostitutes and tax collectors hanging out here with Jesus, feeling welcome in his company. Then the older brother represents the Pharisees and the scribes. And so if you really want to get an understanding, he's saying, here's where we're at right now. This story illustrates this very moment that we're sitting at this dinner table time. This, this story illustrates where we are at right now. So I want to just explore a couple questions. And one of those is, why do we run in our rebellion? Why do we do that? Why do we run in our rebellion? I think we're tempted to run from feelings of worthlessness, and we sometimes run to things that we believe will make us feel worthy. 
And, and I think Jesus is illustrating that in Luke 15. He says, not many days later, the young son gathered all he took uh, on a journey into a far, co- far country, and there he squandered it all, all his property and reckless living. So he went to Vegas, and he just gambled it all away. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him to feed, into his fields to feed the pigs. The most important note about this is that this would be shameful for a Jewish person to be doing that. Actually, shame is a key part of this narrative. He's saying, uh, you shamed your father by asking for your inheritance. You're, you're, you're shaming your heritage by, by feeding the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Just illustrating shame upon shame upon shame here in the passage. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, or against heaven and before you. Here's the key line, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And what he comes to, he comes to the end of himself because of all the shame, feeling worthless, feeling like he's not worthy, feeling like he's not worthy even to be called uh, the son of his father because of what he's done, because of his past, because of his narrative, because of his rebellion. It reminds me of a truth, an axiom I share often at New City, and that there's nothing in this broken world that can fix your broken life. And one of the things that Jesus is illustrating is that rebellion and running, you can, you can run, and you can, run, you, can, you can be really good at running, and you can run after things, and you can accumulate lots of things that you think will uh, establish your worth and value in the world, but you will eventually find that it doesn't bring you the value you thought it would bring you. We say things like this. We say, I'm going to go make the most of my life. That's a kind of, you know, you, you get kind of the front side of life and you go, man, I'm going to make the most of my life or I'm going to, to live a life uh, for all it's worth. You know, like lots of us feel that way. We're going to just conquer the world. But I've met a lot of older people who've tried and, and, and failed and said there's got to be more to life than this. And it seems like that phrase comes up very often in my counseling with people who have just tried to get to milk life for all it's worth and found that it's, it's not worth as much as they thought it would be that more of this broken world just doesn't seem to fix the broken life. I just want to speak some truth to you, just if you can hear this. Your value does not rest on what you have done or failed to do. Your value does not rest on what you have done or what you have failed to do. For our sake, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so we could become His righteousness. You don't have to run. You just don't have to. Because Jesus has already finished the race for you. And we feel all this pressure in life to run. We feel all this pressure to run, thinking that we can either run from our past or we can run to something that will help us to feel significant or valuable or worthy. And sometimes you just have to look at the cross of Jesus and hear him say it's finished. Like he, he ran for you. He lived the life you could not live. He died the death you should have died. It's finished. It's done. It's over. See, there... You need to hear this. If you're, if you're struggling, if you're a runner, and you've been running because of your, your, your battle over worthiness, there's something about you that is irrevocably valuable. Nobody can take it away from you. And just as 126, the Bible says, God made you in His image. Like, there's something irrevocably valuable about you. You share in the image of God. In Psalm 139, it says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like God made you wonderfully. 
You don't have to chase after purpose. God made you on purpose. He has given you inherent meaning. And sometimes he just says, hey, you, you can stop. You read Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, his poema, his poem, his song, his craftsmanship, his unique creation in the world. And he created you to do good things. We say things like, I'm going to go make something of myself. I want to tell you, friends, that God has already made something of you. He's already made something of you. You are beautiful to Him. Listen to the, listen to the words of John 3.16. Let them just bathe, like, like just, just bathe in them. For God so loved you that He gave His Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. In other words, you, have, you, you, don't have, you don't have to run anymore. You don't have to run anymore. So what are you running from? Or what are you running to? And sometimes I think the, 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 the most grace-giving thing that somebody can say to you is stop running. It's finished. He's done it. He completed it. He, he did the work. Let his, receive his righteousness. Stop trying, stop trying to run from your past. Stop trying to, to make up for the past. and do. You know, the son comes to the father. He's like, let me make up for it. I'll work as a hired hand. Let me do something. He says, stop. You get into my family by grace and grace alone. That's how you get in. You don't get, in it, you don't get into my family by achievement. You get into my family by, by grace and grace alone. You need to hear this. Somebody in this room needs to hear this. You are not the Savior of the universe. You're certainly not the Savior of your own life. You do not need to be who Jesus already has been for you. You don't need to be that. So stop running. Stop. Just stop. So why do we run in our rebellion? I think sometimes we, we, we run in our rebellion because we're just chasing after worthiness. Why, why do we hide in our religion? I think we're tempted to find our value in what we do and how we perform. That's like just a human nature thing. Now, the older son was in the field. I mean, this is totally what religious people do, all the right things. He's out in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he's out doing the right thing when this rebellious brother comes home. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him. But he answered his father, look, he didn't say father, he says, look, in other words, his true colors are showing now, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends, look at all the stuff I have done. But when this son of yours who devoured your property with prostitutes, you, you killed a fattened calf for him. I want to just challenge you for a second, religious people. If we form our value around our accomplishments, it will be revealed in how we judge others we perceive to have failed in similar accomplishments. And this, 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 uh, this older brother is just kind of the symbol of this. He's like, man, I've achieved, I've achieved, I've achieved. My brother's a failure. He's, the, the subtext is, I deserve more than him. I deserve more than him. Have you ever noticed that the most smug and ungracious people on the planet are religious people? L listen listen to, uh, to Luke 15, 1 and 2 again. 
Now tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled. Imagine their smugness. Look at him hanging out with those types of people. Look, if you think religion is the cause of a lot of pain in the world, Jesus would agree with you. In fact, his most strong critique uh, that he gives consistently in his teaching is against religiosity. Religion focuses on what you should do while Christianity focuses on what Jesus has done. And those are two different focuses. But we have like this really kind of weird dynamic in our culture right now. And we have a lot of religious people. And I don't mean like religious, like as in they're, they're holding on to a religion, but they're defining, they're defining like the, 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 the existence of others. They're defining the, the meaning of others, the value of others by what they do or what they haven't done. And it's manifesting itself in something that people are calling cancel culture. Have you heard of this, cancel culture? Cancel culture, I think, is a religious movement in our country. This idea that when you fail at something, you do something poorly, they, people, the, all of society just cancels you. Uh, they, 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 they unfollow you, they unfriend you, they cancel you. In fact, there's no, cancel culture says something like this, you are beyond redemption because of what you've done. Whereas Jesus' culture says no one is beyond redemption. See, in Jesus, the only thing that gets canceled is sin. That's what he does. He cancels sin. I think we need to be, you know, really familiar with the cross of Jesus. Because at the cross, we see two things. We see the ugliness of sin, and we have to see sin as ugly. We see the ugliness of sin. We also see the beauty of salvation. And the Bible doesn't, like, wash over sin as if it's unimportant. No, like... Like, you can't think that your, your sinful past and your sinful story is unimportant to God. You've got to see Jesus on the cross, like, suffering, and you have to see the ugliness of the cross. Because Jesus is saying, is like, sin is ugly. It's, it's terrible. It's awful. It, it's, 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 just, it's just gross. But when you look at the ugliness of the cross, you're also just struck by the beauty of salvation, that God would save a sinner like you, save a sinner like me. See, the ugliness of my sin has been overwhelmed by the beauty of my Savior. And when you look at the cross, you see both of those things. And because of Christ's finished work, I can look at my darkest moment under the brightest light and say, you don't define me. It's a powerful moment. When you get it, when you, when you really get that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf, the ugliness of the cross, so you might receive the righteousness of Christ, and there it is, the beauty of my salvation. I stand in his righteousness, and so I can look at the most darkest moments of my life under the brightest light. I can look at it, with, it, with, it with under full daylight and go, you don't define me, Christ defines me. I don't, walk, I, don't, I don't walk in the shame of what I have done or what I haven't done. I walk, I walk proudly in the righteousness of my Savior, Jesus Christ. So there are three good news things we need to recognize in this text. And one of those is that people are runners and hiders, but God is a seeker. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran in a time when men did not run. He ran in a time when, when it was undignified to run. God, God is illustrating, this is what I look like. My grace is undignified. He ran and he embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. I don't want to hear any of that noise. You don't earn your way back. 
back into my family, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. I have come to give my son grace, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. The father says, son, you cannot earn your way back into community. This is grace and grace alone. This is what salvation is. And the whole story of the Bible is a story of God seeking after runners and seekers and here, here are runners and hiders. And what you see is God is, is always on pursuit. He's running, looking, waiting, longing. That's the, that's the portrait here. When you see in Genesis 3, 8 and 9, after Adam and Eve sinned, you see Adam and Eve went running. And you, and, but God came walking in the cool of the day because Adam and Eve are playing hide and seek and they're hiding. And in verse 9, the Lord calls out, where are you? Because he's a seeker. And Adam and Eve are hiding in their sin, but God is a seeker and he's looking for sinners. He's saying, I'm going to give you a way back. I'm going to fix what you broke. Come to me and I'll make it right. And by the way, God is seeking both rebellious runners and religious hiders. And I'll just be honest with you. I have more of a comfort level in my life for God welcoming rebellious people into the church than I do religious people. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I, I, get so, I, get, I, I share less grace with those who are religious and are finding their way back to God. But he was angry and he refused to go in, the older brother, and guess what? The father went to him too. And he went out and said, son, come home. I, I don't st- Stop trying to prove yourself or what you've done. Come home, receive grace. Christianity, I think, first and foremost, is about restored relationships, and that's what the parable teaches us. Lots of ways of framing the Bible narrative, and it's important for us to to do this often. The Bible tells a story of a father who sent his son, that's Jesus, to take a bride, that's the church, and adopt many children. It's a story of restored relationships. It's a story of the Bible. See, what the Bible is doing is stretching metaphor and story to the point that we can understand the depth of God's love for us. And what the story of the Bible is doing is trying to say, look, God loves you like a father loves his lost boys. That's what what God's love looks like. So there are three good news truths we need to recognize in this text. One is people are runners. One of the others is God's a seeker. And when people are found, it's a party. And celebration is important because people matter. They matter. So this, this, uh, this parable, the lost boys, is the one that gets preached on most, but it's the third of three parables that Jesus tells at this dinner party. This first one is, he says, imagine a wealthy shepherd. He's got a hundred sheep and he loses one. Imagine the celebration when he finds that one and brings it back. And he says, imagine a poor woman. She's got one coin out of ten that she loses and she finds the coin. Imagine the celebration when she finds that coin. Then he says, imagine a father has two lost boys. What's he doing? He's He's bringing you in. He's saying, boy, wouldn't it be great if you found a sheep? Wouldn't it be great if you found a... What about, what about humanity? What about a father finding his boys? Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let us celebrate. Why? My son was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. They began to celebrate. Verse 32, it's fitting to celebrate, he says to the older son. Because your brother was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Celebration is important because in salvation, God does the impossible. In salvation, God does not make bad people good people. It makes dead people alive. And that's something, that's a turn in the parables. 
The sheep has found celebration. The coin has found celebration. The son has found he was dead and now he's alive. This is what salvation is. It's God bringing to life those who are dead, Colossians 2.13. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made alive together with him. He made you alive, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all of our sins. See, every sinner who has been rescued by Jesus can say without a doubt that God has done a miracle in their life. If you've been rescued by Jesus, you know what the the miracle is? You were dead in your sins, but now you're alive in Jesus. It's a miracle. It's a miracle he's done. And God can turn your greatest pain into your greatest message. He does that. He turns your greatest pain into your greatest message. This Be Good News initiative, we want to tell stories. We want you to be able to see stories of, 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 the, of the good news message of Jesus on display. And I want you tonight to see Bethany's story. So check it out. Hi, my name is Bethany and I'm 22 years old. When I was 16, I found out I was pregnant and it was a real shock. I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't really know what the next step was. One day after I found out I was pregnant, I was sitting in a youth group at a church and all these kids were sitting in a youth group asking, well, how can I share this, the gospel with my friends at school? And I was just sitting there and knowing I was pregnant and just like, I was in such a different situation and so with that, I just, I didn't really feel like going to church anymore. When I would walk into a church pregnant, I would get all these funny looks. Like if someone were to walk in with a ring on their finger and be pregnant or announce that they're pregnant, like they'd be wel- like welcomed with open arms. And for me, it was the total opposite. People would walk the other way. People I'd known my whole life and grown up going to church with, just decided to stop talking to me or abandon me and that was really hard on me and my family. When I finally told my mom, she just embraced me and that like really showed me um, God's love and God's grace and she put aside any pride or any hurt she may have felt from it. When I walked into New City for the first time, it was at Mission Ave Elementary School, and I walked in scared, like I had walked out of the last church. And they had this sign that said, no perfect people allowed. People could obviously tell I was pregnant, and not once did I get a look that made me feel shame. They didn't ignore it, like it was, wasn't there. They just embraced me and showed me God's love. Before I had Chloe, I I didn't know what purpose my life had. I was probably going to go down a really rough path, and I couldn't imagine my life with her, but as soon as she was born, I couldn't imagine my life without her. I, I don't know who I would be without her. I was meant to be her mom, and she was meant to be my daughter. It's 
be good news to me is to look someone in the eye and tell them I'm broken too and I've made mistakes but God has turned it into something beautiful. Watched it like I don't know a dozen times. I've cried every time, so I can't stop on that. First time I watched the video, I just said yes a thousand times, yes. I want that over and over and over again. And all of us, as we commit to be good news, get to participate in creating an environment where rebellious runners or religious hiders can come home and experience the love of Jesus. You know. To be good news means like I'm going to be, I'm willing to live my grace-filled story, like I'm willing to live it and, and embrace the mission God's called me to. If you let him, God will use your redeemed story for his redeeming purpose, he will. Uh, I got an email from Bethany's last week and she's wrote a lot of cool things in it and she said, she got to see the video ahead of time. She said, I, I want single teenage parents to stop running from churches and instead I want them to think of church as the first place they can go. My goal one day is to start a nonprofit for single parents, teenage parents, any parent really. I want to help provide them with support and possible mentorship and rescues and resources uh, th throughout the city. And just watching this young girl go, God's taking my story and he's doing something beautiful with it. We want to start good news conversations all over the city by being a good news people. That's the challenge. And so on, the car, on, the, on your seats, there's these cards, there's a personal response card. Here's what we're going to do with those. Uh, next week, we're going we're to collect them in service. We're going to do an event in service, and we'll collect those cards. On the back of the card, you'll see just for, in, and with. And what we're asking you to do is just maybe think of your own story and say, who is God calling me to be for? What person in my life is God calling me to be for? In what place? That I work, live, or play? And you can start thinking about the places that you, that you work, the places that you live, the places that you, you play, and say, in that place, is there anybody that God's calling me to be for? And what does He call me to be, to, to be for those people with? And what resources has He given me? And I, I can see Bethany saying, I'm for single moms in the city with my story. And all kind of resources that God has given you. And what's He calling you to do with that resource? Uh, we're not going to collect those tonight, but I want you to have the week to pray about it. And uh, we'll be collecting those on Sunday. We'll have more cards available. We'll collect them on Sunday. We're going to hang them around the room. I want it to be a testimony to, what, to, 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 to a church that's saying, yes, we're going to commit to being good news. God takes runners and hiders, and he sends them out on mission as fellow seekers. Who's God sending you to? All right. Father, we pray that you would help us uh, to be sent as, uh, as you sent your son Jesus, that we would be sent to the world to be good news. Uh, help us to represent you well to the world around us. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are, um, you came for us. You, you sought us out. You left heaven. You came to earth. And for anybody who's been hiding, anybody who's been running, I just pray that you'd give them the courage to say, here I am. Uh, uh, Father, I pray you call them to be your own, uh, that you'd rescue them. Uh, for anybody who's just tired of running, just would you give them through the Holy Spirit a message to say, stop, you don't have to run anymore. For anybody who's been hiding, could you just say, just come out from hiding. You don't have to hide anymore. Uh, just, just speak your truth through your Holy Spirit. Uh, just speak your grace into our hearts and our lives. In your name, Lord Jesus, I pray for those things. Amen.